You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast. This is an indie talk week, and that means I have my co-founder and good friend, Nicholas Bugs, with me on this chat. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? I'm a little disappointed today uh, because my man Chris here was a little less adjectivious in his intro of me. Um, I think next time, man, you need to do a little bit better. You know, you can kind of go in on my, uh, my sultry voice and the, the chocolatey brown skin, you know, all that stuff that, uh, you normally do. <laughs> got to make sure that we, we, we amp it up and ramp it up for the next time. Okay. That's all I gotta say. Just a little disappointed. I, I'm, I feel bad. I will uh, do better. I, I have no doubt in my mind that if, uh, if I were in the room with you, it'd be very obvious that you are a sizzling slab of beefcake and, uh, the, <laughs> And that I'd want to take a searing uh, hot knife and cut into that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's no, there's just no foolish, man. <laughs> question at all about it. Uh, <laughs> so here, here we are. Uh, believe it or not, we have made it through half of 2020. And I was saying that... Um, last week that there will probably be, and this sounds like hyperbole, it's not, there will probably be a thousand books written about this year, all said and done. And then George Floyd happened. So make that 2000 books that'll be written and some new legislature, hopefully some new policies. And it's been uh, a really a uh, reflective week, odd week. It's been a week full of protests, some riots as well across the nation. Um, and we really haven't uh, spoken out on it too much in, in public as an organization. It's bonds as individually me and you um, simply because, you know, do you know what more can we add to the narrative that's already out there that that makes a difference is, is one thing. And two, you know, our focus is independent film. And so having deep considerations and thoughts about how does indie film respond to what's going on currently uh, across the nation? And then also um, in what ways can indie film, uh, does it affect indie film and can and indie filmmakers and creatives help this? And we see a lot of outpouring of support online, but is there anything more Nick that, that you think, uh, we should address is, is there anything else that this community could do to, uh, support their position on, uh, this, this current 2020 drama? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll have to, I guess, split my response to that in two and say that, you know, as, you know, African-American males in the United States, having a platform such as this podcast and, um, and just being, I think what we would want to say are just 
two good humans. I think we can use our platform, you know, a little bit uh, for our personal voice. I think we have, you know, an opportunity, probably a, a right and reason to do that. So I'll, I'll just, from, from my side of this, just say that, you know, with the protests that are happening, I think that this is, um, I, I can't say that the protests are a long time coming uh, because they've been happening um, with every unjustified killing of an African-American um, by those in, um, in a position of authority. There have been protests, you know, so this isn't the first time. Um, I think that what's happening now is that uh, especially with what's going on with, you know, this people being locked up in home, you know, at home for such a long period of time. Um, and then just, I think it's maybe getting to the point where it's the straw that broke the camel's back with the number of these incidents that have happened. You know, people just, it's, it's like, you can't, you can't stand it anymore. You know, you got to get out and, and say something. And I think that that's, that's what's happening is that people are just saying, you know, we have to get out. Right. One, get out of our homes uh, to in a show of solidarity for our brothers and sisters, you know, who have been murdered in these ways. Um, but what's unfortunate, you know, you just mentioned, you know, things like you know riots are happening, is that there are some opportunistic folks out there who are taking advantage of the protests um, to, you know, be violent or to vandalize. Right. These aren't protesters. Right. I, I, I just can't call it that. You know, they'll say that, you know, the, the protesters are burning things. No, they're not. You're right. These are vandals who are burning things. You know, there's people who are, you know, destroying uh, police property, people breaking into churches. I mean, it's just getting ridiculous. But, you know, I just want to, you know, personally just say that, you know, these are just, you know, some opportunistic folks taking advantage of a situation and making it much worse than it needs to be. So, like I said, I just want to make sure that, you know, we have that, that conversation because it, this isn't about protest. It's about something else. Um, and then as far as the, you know, the filmmaking community is concerned, you know, there is always a time as an independent filmmaker, uh, to be a voice for the voiceless. Uh, so, you know, by picking up a camera and, you know, actually going into any community around the United States and having a conversation with people about what they perceive is happening, about what they believe is happening, about what they think should happen. Uh, I think there's just ample opportunity to do that and to put that out in short form and micro form and feature form, you know, whatever form you have available to you. You know, this is the time, if ever there was a time, to go be the voice of the voiceless and, you know, engage in the conversation that we're having um, as a nation and as a society. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot going on right now. And, um, you know, filmmakers behind the camera uh, can be a part of hopefully moving us forward. Yeah. You think about all the best and most meaningful, most inspiring, most controversial uh, content um uh, engaging content that we've seen in the last, let's say, three or four days, it, it's all been video content for the most part. You know, whether it be um, speeches from government officials or actually seeing rubber bullets hit windows or seeing people uh, like the free hugs guy go out and, and try to correct vandalism and, and paint over it, all that's come. Uh, through the lens of some cinematographer, if you will, uh, that that's likely an indie creative 
putting that stuff on the record. And so, um, whatever you're doing in terms of protest, um, and not rioting, but in terms of protest, turn your cameras on, create engaging content around it. And let's document this time in history because there will, my hope is that there, there may not be another time in history like this. That's, that's handled this way under such, I guess this is where I get a little political Nick under such poor leadership from a national perspective. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's that, that note is being widely recognized. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult time right across the board. I'll say that. Right. So, so one, we, we don't want to, we don't want to see repeated for sure, but do document this time in history. I think it's so important. And I think the other issue that we have going on right now that that sort of, and like, <laughs> like I alluded to earlier, like 2020 just won't quit. We have murder hornets. We have an active hurricane season. We have the 17 year locusts. We have, Obviously, much more serious issues like George Floyd and then, of course, COVID. But as we come out of COVID, we're starting to see some really big bright spots. So um, death counts plummeting all around the world, um, new case counts plummeting. And we're seeing the inventiveness and, and um, the innovations that are that are kind of coming out of uh, either desperate times or or those that are creative and, and want to create. And then one of our, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later, right? About someone who did something great and a team of filmmakers that are doing some great things during our be better, uh, be creative, be engaged in war. But, but right now the question is how do we get back onto set safely and follow guidelines? And remember if you're an indie creative hearing this, you're saying, okay, well, how does this apply to me? Keep in mind that all the pressure to get back on set the uh, safe way, the correct way, um, the sanctioned way, it all comes from unions. So SAG-AFTRA, uh, if you have any actor in your film that's going to be a SAG actor, uh, you're going to have to follow those pay guidelines. You're going to follow those safety guidelines. Uh, the WGA, if you have writers on set the DGA, like all these unions are really the creators of the pressure that us filmmakers have to uh, sort of live in those guidelines to, to get back on set and maybe have a, a, a full production of something. And uh, one of the, we, we heard the obvious stuff, which is, you know, maybe people wear masks on set that are non-performers. Maybe you limit the size of the cast and crew that's happening a lot through technology right now. It's a, like a whole nother indie talk, Nick. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and one novel thought is, is what if you bring everyone together from the beginning and you all quarantine together for two weeks, right? In two weeks, if no one's sick, <laughs> then you all can go to sit and start filming. So, <laughs> right. So, <yeah. laughs> so that's the idea there. But then I saw some technology this week about a robot that will uh, use ultraviolet, ultraviolet rays to kill uh, the coronavirus. And it just, it, it kind of works like um, um, a less emotional short circuit, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And it just kind of, uh, or, or it almost looks like R2-D2, just not gold. Um, or um, silver, I mean. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's like it's, it's like aluminum though, right? Like it's not a shiny silver, and it just man, this thing looks like a trash can. Yeah, it just kind of hovers <laughs> around, right? Like kind of, it's like a Roomba. It's like a tall Roomba, and it just goes, <laughs> it just goes around set, and it doesn't say anything to you. It's not like one of these Boston mechanics robots that uh, are terrifying. It's not going to do a backflip in front of you, okay. uh, but it just goes around and shoots these lights, and it's killing the virus, and it purifies your set. And you can have one right now for the fair price of one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. There's nothing. There's nothing for Hollywood, man. <laughs> That's true. And and <laughs> but you can also just like any other uh, film equipment, you can uh, you can rent it. You can rent it uh, per day if you have a twenty-day shoot. You can find out what that cost is for your COVID robot. But the the point here is that. Uh, the, the, those the um, predictions are true. Like this robot did, was not on a budget <laughs> last year, right? So, and maybe it should have been, but it wasn't, right? So right. now you're saying, okay, whatever this daily rate is for this robot times twenty, that's the new budget and cost for for my production. Nick. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I just had a conversation with a neighbor uh, just the other day. And, you know, when you, when you see a neighbor, um, you know, you got to do the whole, the dance, right. It's that, that six feet away dance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you really start having conversations, real conversation with real people, um, you realize that the dance actually that they do isn't for them. Mm -hmm. And the dance that you do isn't for you, right. The dance that I do is for the other person. Cause I don't know how comfortable or uncomfortable they'll be if I break that six foot barrier. Right. So they're doing the same thing, you know? And I think part of getting back on set, uh, depending the size of the set and you know, how well, you know, your team, I think it'll come down to not just some of these, you could call it, um, uh, recommended protections, but it's also going to come down to just your level of comfort. Right. So, you know, I imagine some of the smaller sets, you know, what if you were to just walk in and, and sign a piece of paper that says, look, let's say let's say I'm the I'm the producer. And I say, look, on this set, we're not doing masks. We're going to have antibacterial available every 10 feet, but we're not doing masks. Um, we're not doing social distancing. We're running this thing like a normal set other than we're going to have antibacterial and we're doing box lunches. Everything else up for grabs, right? We'll right. wipe down equipment, but this is what we're doing. And then I walk in and as I'm an actor or I'm, you know, part of the crew and I, I hear that. Okay. And I sign on the dotted line that I'm cool with that. Right. Like that's just, I'm you, cool. With you that. have to, because what happens with hair and makeup? Like there's no way for hair and makeup to be socially distanced away from the talent. Right. right. But like, what I'm saying is that I don't as a as an actor, let's say I'm saying that I'm not afraid. Right. So you don't need to to buy a hundred fifty thousand dollar robot or rent one on my behalf. Whoa, 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 whoa. One hundred and twenty five grand, buddy. My bad, my dude. Yeah. One hundred twenty five thousand dollar robot. Right. So what I'm saying is that you don't need to make to have that robot just for me. 
I'm good. And I think, like you said, like this thing wasn't on the radar before, right? But people were still getting colds. People were still getting the flu. People were dying from the flu. People were having some serious complications from pneumonia. Uh, people were getting strep throat. People were out of work. People were, um, you know, using sick leave, you know, which actually cost companies money. Like all these things were happening, which could have justified the need for one of these robots. But that wasn't on anybody's radar because everyone was okay with it, right? Like they were accepting of the risk of a cold, a flu, pneumonia, strep throat, pink eye, like all the things you can catch from people that you're around. Um, people were okay with it. So that's the whole thing. The robot exists because there's a fear, right? And I think that that's potentially a way to get back to work for people is to say, hey, look, these are the rules of engagement here. If you're good, sign on the dotted line that you're good. And we're in. Let's make it happen. Right. Which is how a lot of the micro content gets made. It's friends making film and they're not afraid of each other. Right. So like so what is that that next step really look like? And I think it's going to be a mixed state where some people are basically going to say that they are not in fear. And the other ones are going to say, no, we have an obligation to protect you. And therefore, we will have the one hundred twenty five thousand dollar robots on set. Right. And it's the unknown that really is driving that along with these long gestation periods. Um, the data is leaning a certain way, in my opinion. But is it really your job to go out and convince someone? You know, it's like a roller coaster in a way. It's like there are some people who are not going to get on a certain type of roller coaster, no matter what you tell them about how many times that thing is run without any problem. Yep. It's just not like. I have friends that aren't going to get on roller coasters that require them to lay vertically or horizontally. Sorry. Like they're not like, why do I need to lay horizontally to get on this roller coaster? Give me a roller coaster with a seat. Damn it. I don't, right. I don't, I don't, this is, this is beyond, this is, I don't need this much adventure. In my life. That's right. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Even though it's totally safe. Yeah. You're, we're not doing it right. So I don't want to go out and do that. And, and, and I've always thought in, we talked about this on Indie Talk, I think two, maybe two episodes ago, which would have been a month ago, about sort of this this sort of terrifying proposition of wearing having a card that says you've been tested and wearing oh, like yeah. color color wristbands, uh, color coded wristbands. It's like that doesn't work because you can catch it one second later if that's the case. Right. Like it just yeah. it doesn't. It's it might. They're looking for ways to get back to set and not lose money, and then still check the box of hey, I did everything I could do. Um, and by the way, I just want to be clear because I, I misspoke a little bit. I want to go back. Um, I said that this tall Roomba <laughs> killing robot will ride around and kill uh, COVID in the air while you're, it, it won't mess with you. You actually can't be in the room with it because you, <laughs> you get that ultraviolet light on you. <laughs> yeah. You get the ultraviolet light to mess your eyes up. So you put it in a room by itself. It's kind of like when you have your pool robot cleaning your pool, you don't swim with it. Same yeah. thing. You put your robot in the room. Okay. It'll take five minutes, cleans, disinfects the room. And then you can come in and, and do your thing, uh, on set. Um, and just to give the correct attribution, it's, it's Zenex Disinfection Services. And this isn't um, science fiction or anything. It's they, They've been using these robots in hospitals for a while. And so now they're finding this sort of new second use 
uh, for it. Now, what I don't want to find out when we research this, Nick, is that when it was used in hospitals, it cost $10,000. And now that a film needs it so desperately, it costs $125,000. That's, that's the game right there, man. I, I wouldn't doubt if that's the case. I mean, I, I probably should look up the cost of these uh, drones that are killing um, COVID in stadiums. You know, like that's the the next thing, you know, it's like you want to use the robots on set. Well, then you use the drones in movie theaters, you know, and everything has to be disinfected, you know, beforehand. I don't know, man. I think the it's like uh, Gallagher, the the comedian way back in the day, he said something about, you know, he's like, you know, there's so many people that just want to eat healthy. And they're just like, you know, don't don't eat anything with chemicals in it. You know, don't just don't don't touch anything with chemicals. Them chemicals, man, them chemicals will get you. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, man, I want the chemicals. You know why? Because if I take so, at least some of the chemicals in me, I'll be OK. But all those folks who were being super clean, if they accidentally get some of those chemicals, <laughs> they're dead, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about the same thing with all of the sanit- sanitization. I'm like, you know, you sanitize all these places and then, you know, hey, you, you're the unlucky person who just happens to get that virus or to get that cold, that germ. Well, because your body hasn't built up an immunity to anything because everything's been pre-sanitized for you, you can't make it. You right. know, so I think there's a there's a certain degree of um I don't know. It's like realism that you have to kind of put in play here. It's like we, we can't live in an uber sanitized society. And I don't think humans actually even want to interact that way. So, but yeah, when it goes from, um, you know, trash can robots to drones to Roombas to there's actually a mini Roomba like robot that uh, is the size of a dessert dish mm. that you can actually put in your bed underneath your sheets or underneath your blanket, and it does the same thing as your hospital robot. It uses what else does it do robot. under the sheets? Hey man, I don't know. It it, it Roombas. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you know, basically, it just you know goes on your bed and it sanitizes your bed. That you know, it's just again, that's the level of fear that I think we're dealing with in in many circles, and that's what industry is doing is they're responding to the fear because you know there's money to be made there. Whether or not it's completely necessary is a is a separate discussion, but I think they're responding to the fear, and these are the things that uh, they're trying to do to bring people you know back on set, back in the theaters, back in the stadiums, and so on. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about how our immune system works. It's almost like. <laughs> so it's like they, it, your immune system needs a war to fight. You got to give your immune system something to fight. And that's just like the general bacteria that we come across every day. And uh, we, our immune system learns lessons from that and gets stronger, forms more antibodies, et cetera. And we get, you know, we are able to fight things. And uh, I'd also add just uh, increasing your VO2 max is great. So cardio is wonderful. And then, of course, eating right uh, as well. Uh, Speaking of costs and the cost of these drones or different types of robots that disinfect things, uh, I wanted to quickly mention, Nick, about one of our biggest beefs might be actually starting to get resolved. And one of our biggest beefs is why does it cost so much to make a movie? Uh, Why hasn't Moore's Law uh, dropped the cost of technology around film the way it's dropped the cost of technology in comparison to sort of what that technology does uh, in every other industry, right? Like you might say, well, the iPhone isn't cheap. It's a thousand dollars. Yeah. 
but it's more powerful than the computer you had 10 years ago. Right. So for sure. So for what it does versus what it costs, the price has dropped dramatically. Right. Well, finally you're starting to see a small host, including red red for the first time has come out with a movie, a cinema camera that you can purchase. It shoots at six K I believe. And it's sub $7,000. And so, you know, I think that's a, a direct response to some things that Sony are doing, but also in Canon. But I also think that it's a response to um, Apple, Samsung, and even its own attempt at making a cell phone. Red, Red was going to make a cell phone called uh, I think the Red Hydrogen, or it might have made it and it wasn't very successful. But the point is, uh, it, all the gimbals out there that you can get, and I think I just think it's a response to this movement towards um, shooting for smaller screens, shooting for web series, and 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 for Quibi, and and we're going to talk about another platform coming up here in a second. But now you can go out without killing yourself and really get a cinema, full blown cinema camera for less than seven grand for the first time. Uh, in history, I believe. So there you go, Nick. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, I think there's, there's a, there's a balance. So the one of them is the technology that the, you, you can use to create a cinematic experience, right? Cinematic basically from my perspective is, you know, like a theatrical experience, something you would expect to see in a theater. Uh, but then you look at the other side of the coin, which is, you know, how many people, are not expecting, but are requiring a cinematic experience anymore, right? Because so many people are watching content on cell phones or tablets or MacBooks or your television at home. So there's this, and I think there's a balance in there somewhere. It's like, yeah, that's great. You know, bringing down the cost of, of a camera like that for this theatrical experience, something that's a little bit more cinematic, but you know, maybe even that is uh, a day too late because a large swath of the population doesn't necessarily care anymore. You know, if you can do it on a, on an iPhone and you can be entertaining or you can be educational or you can be, you know, inspiring, Hey, maybe that's all you need. So it's, it's an interesting, you know, this is definitely an interesting time that we're in when it comes to, to film content and what people's expectations are. And even, you know, right now being in this, this COVID-19 space where you can't go to a theater, you know, a lot of people will like to go back to the theater, uh, because the big, the biggest big box films, you know, almost demand that type of experience. Um, but maybe you're not driven there as much anymore because you're happy with the content you've been consuming on a smaller screen. Yeah, precisely. And, and apropos to that and a nice segue is the recent, uh, movement at the executive level of Kevin Mayer who left, uh, Disney and he's also the lead executive behind Disney plus, um, the exodus of him to, to become the CEO of TikTok, And what could that mean for independent creatives? I mean, so here's a person who has been in film and in a company that, that 
is about creating content his entire career. He got passed up for the, uh, the, the job to secede um, Bob Iger. And so we kind of felt like, okay, well, if you're following that, you might say, okay, well, he was going to leave eventually. But this move to TikTok, which was the second most downloaded app in April, uh, only, only uh, beaten by Zoom, uh, <laughs> which is a very like time specific kind of thing. Right. So in a lot yeah, of ways you sure. could say across the board, it's probably the most downloaded app right now. Um, what would Kevin bring to TikTok? Like what's going to happen now? We can't say that they're going to run movies and compete with Quibi or compete with any other streamer. I mean, that's really becoming a congested field. There's already over 270 different streamers and that number is just going to keep growing and growing and growing. So maybe they don't do that. But the idea is that maybe you as an independent creative start making something right now that gives you the opportunity to sell directly to TikTok um, and let them platform for you. Right. So imagine a world where social media networks are now the now in the distribution game or now in the purchasing and distribution game um, with the bet being that people are not going to rush back out to theaters at large anytime soon. Um, This could be very interesting. And just as a little note, uh, TikTok's parent company is called Byte Dance. So B-Y-T-E Dance. Uh, and they've already done the beta test for this guys. Uh, so if you're out there listening, this isn't just, um, conjecture, you know, that this is, this has happened. So as we all know, China is one of the major backers of Hollywood financially, and they have their own blustering film economy, which made $9.2 billion last year. They think that's going to get cut in half. They were the first hit by COVID shut down theaters. Right. And they took a film. This is a Chinese film lost in Russia. And they uh, bite dance purchased that film and then ran it and had six million active viewers. So it's not like YouTube where it accumulated 600 million views over time. No, it had 600 million active viewers on the debut of this film. So many, many, many more eyes than you would get in any theater run for any film, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, so you think about, um, Netflix, actually any of these streamers, like what's the point of a uh, streaming service? Like what's the goal? Oh, subscribers, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's also, if I get the subscriber, I want to keep the subscriber. The goal with any of these things is to keep people on your platform, right? right. That's it. Right. Because if you can keep them there, you can sell them stuff there. You know, they'll they'll buy other stuff, whether it's from you or from other people there. They'll consume your content there. So it's just, it's the same thing with Netflix as it is with Amazon Prime, as it is with Facebook and Instagram and like all these places. It's like, what's the point? Keep you there. And how do you do that? You have to uh, provide new ways of delivering content. You have to provide uh, new types of content. So I think it's um, it's like a natural progression progression for, for TikTok to just say, okay, now I've got these people here and, you know, maybe, well, I wouldn't even say maybe, you know, that they figured out the average amount of time that a person stays on TikTok, right? So now you figured out the average amount of time you want to extend that. Well, how do you do that? 
right? Because imagine watching a feature film that you're already going to devote an hour and a half to two hours to, and then it's like, you know, let's go ahead and show some TikTok videos. Right. You know, you're going to be able to get them for two hours plus the average amount of time that they stay on TikTok. So, you know, there's just it's it's all about keeping people engaged on the platform so that you can continue to monetize their presence on that platform. So, you know, I think, you know, we don't necessarily have a crystal ball into exactly why, you know, he went over there and took the CEO position and what he would bring to shift the model of TikTok. Maybe it's just he's going to be the CEO of TikTok and leave it as is. Uh, but I think if we are looking into our own personal crystal balls, we're looking at what it might be uh, might mean for the indie community. It is like as you said, hey, on the off chance that they're going to be shifting into a new model of sh- of uh, sharing this type of content then be a, a first adopter, you know, get in there and make the content and then see if you can get at the table because they will be looking for that content if they decide to go down that road. So I think it's a, it's a great way to, um, to kind of diversify what you're doing as an indie and potentially be, you know, one of the first people on a platform. Yeah, it's a great point. And look, we recognize that the cards are always going to be stacked against the indie creative. If there's someone out there who has clout already and um, a big following and a big audience has the funds to make something, they are going to beat you most likely. Uh, But why not create something early uh, in, in a process, right? And give yourself the opportunity to be lucky and, and get that luck and do the work that sort of, you know, that whole, uh, preparation meets opportunity thing. Right. So, um, and to your point about, you know, getting subscribers and retaining them, it's a great point. Uh, you know, bite dances, uh, basically China, China's TikTok, Right. And they are the only social media app to, to have a hundred million subscribers in China and outside of China as well. So this is a big organization that's only going to get bigger. Uh, they've made a lot of acquisitions. And I think that's what will be first on Kevin Mayer's plate will be more acquisitions uh, of, of services. So I see that coming. Um, you think about Facebook just buying uh, Giphy uh, recently. That might have been a good home perhaps for uh, TikTok. And the second thing TikTok's going to have to worry about is the fact that, yeah, they have a parent that's out of China and China's, um, you know, China's, it's no secret. I mean, their businesses are always under regulatory scrutiny. Um, and I think that's something, you know, he's going to have to work out as well because one China uh, companies out of China, um, they're just known for, for IP fraud. Um, so intellectual property fraud, but then also, just they don't have to follow the same rules, accounting rules and regulations that uh, other businesses uh, started out of other countries have to follow. Or better yet, I should just say they refuse to follow them and we don't have the power as regulators to go over there and force them to follow them. And that's a little bit right. more accurate. And so you're seeing some regulatory heat around TikTok right now. So I think get those two things out of the way. If you're Kevin Mayer, and then we'll we'll start to roll out content, make acquisitions, you know, and see what's available for any creatives at the end of the day. But the key is, you know, this is your chance to get out in front of something. How many times have you said to yourself, "Man, if I'd only been YouTubing 
in 2006. If I had only been uh, fully into what I was doing in photography or, or, or in terms of comedy, you know, in the beginning of Instagram, if I'd only this or only that, well, now you have the chance to be in front of something that's already really popular, but they're taking a left turn here potentially into long form uh, content. Um, anything else on this, Nick, before we move on to the be uh, better, be creative, be engaged in award for this week? No, I, I think we I think we covered it there. Um, other than just anytime you're an early adopter, you get to learn. So I think learning the platform is uh, a good opportunity for any indie filmmaker out there. So, you know, even if you don't necessarily create the most prolific content on day one, learning how the platform uh, is is used and um, how you can maximize your experience there, I think, is probably the way to go. Yeah, 100%. So uh, as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, uh, this is our segment called the Be Better, Be Creative, Be Engaged Award, which is our award for any product, uh, person, uh, production, content, anything that we think is really um, uh, aligning with our credo and motto as an organization, uh, which is to be better be creative and be engaged. So Nick, I know that you have one that, uh, that touched you this last week. Uh, talk to us about it. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll keep this brief because I'd love for the community to go out and, and read more about this. Like just because I think what we're going to say about it is uh, at a high level from what we think it means for the community as a whole, just the, the type of thinking, the type of creativity, uh, the type of teamwork, all the stuff that came through in this, I think is, is, is awesome. Uh, but we're going to want people to read about it. And this is uh, mythic quest quarantine and, uh, Rob McElhaney and Megan Gans, the co-creators of the show, um, had to figure some things out, right. To keep the, the show going as we were on uh, safer at home. And, just uh, it, it's difficult to to really describe. I think you had mentioned it earlier, Chris, when you said like th- like this thing was an amazing feat of mm-hmm. uh, not just individual creativity, um, but like it, it's one of those things that it it probably won't happen again. Like even as good as it was, it probably won't happen again. And you know, basically what they did was they decided, hey, we're going to keep this thing going. And we're going to have, you know, an episode that's like we're on quarantine. It's going to it's not necessarily going to be exactly this because it's kind of like in a, in a different uh, different world. We don't want to have COVID-19 be the um, the thing that we're talking about. We're, we have to be quarantined from something. And, and how do we make this happen? How do we make it as real as possible? So, you know, how are people communicating? They're communicating via Zoom. Right. Mm -hmm. So they got engaged on Zoom. They got their actors on Zoom, Uh, but they also needed to record those Zoom meetings in in a way that um, they could take that back and they could do the editing. You know, so how did they do that? Well, they got 40 iPhones right delivered to all their folks. And why 40 is because like they each had three iPhones right for recording. They would put the camera, the iPhone camera uh, right underneath their uh, computer camera while they were recording these, you know, quote unquote zoom meetings for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would take these cameras, they would record, they would put, sanitize these things, put them in bags, have a pickup person, pick these things up, getting, get them to the editors. Um, 
And they were doing all this work to make this, you know, 30 minute episode. And they did all of this over the course of three weeks. So they got 40 iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's first. Okay. I get it that it's an Apple show, right? So Apple, you know, they had some pull here to get some, some five, but they got 40 iPhones. Okay. 40 iPhones sent out to all of these folks um, who are the actors, right? The characters in these shows and the actors prior to COVID would show up to act, right? Like that was their job. They had to show up to act. When you get an iPhone delivered to your house and you have to record, well, everything's different, right? The sound in your house isn't the same as the sound in my house. Isn't the same as the sound in someone else's house. The lighting isn't the same in my house that it is in your house. So you have to figure out ways to make all of this stuff work. And you can't just do that in the editing room. Okay. So all of these folks with iPhones who are now recording had to step their game up and become something new. So the thing, the reason that I'm so impressed is because of that, the idea to get the iPhones out to everybody to use zoom. That's a great idea. It's super creative to keep your show going, but it's not necessarily like the first time that it was done. Um, if you recall on the, um, there was an episode of modern family that they actually did the entire episode using Apple products. Mm -hmm. Okay. And of course (laughs) for this episode of mythic quest, they actually had, um, one of the folks who was helping with that show. I think it was one of the producers of that show actually helped with this process. Um, but one of the things that the key thing that I want to, to mention is that again, it's the fact that everybody was willing and able to step their game up to be more than they were, before this whole COVID thing happened in order to pull this off. So there's this one line from um, an article where Michelini is talking and he says, it forced everybody to get into the minutia of their cameras, of their lenses, of the applications, of the sound quality, frame rate, all sorts of things that as an actor, you're not necessarily thinking about. I mean, you, that's a lot of stuff, man. It's it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. The collaborative nature of it is what aligns so much with um, at least the, certainly the be creative. Well, all of it, be better, be creative and be engaged. <laughs> that, the collaborative nature of that is so powerful. And um, I believe Craig Mason is going to be on a, a future episode. You know, he's the, the writer of, um, you know, so many feature film films and, and, uh, but also, uh, most recently, um, I'm losing the name of it. Um, well, Chernobyl, Chernobyl. Yeah. Jesus. Not <laughs> <laughs> just like Jesus and Chernobyl and, and but then, uh, <laughs> but, but he's, uh, he's also the co-host of uh, script notes as well. And, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And, um, people who follow Craig know that he's, uh, a huge gamer. Um, huge into crossword puzzles and Sudoku and just all the uh, worlds of nerddom you can delve into. And so it's a perfect fit for the show. And and just, I read that article as well, Nick, and was um, really uh, just smiled ear to ear because we do know independent creatives that are putting in that kind of effort and collaboration and doing things as creative as possible or creatively as possible. And then they're doing it on micro budgets a lot of times. And, and so 
uh, it's good to see what's really possible when you actually have resources as well. And when the crew is much larger, because I think the miracle of it, Nick is 40 people, right? 40 iPhones, not eight iPhones or six iPhones, 40 and everybody coming together to try to shoot something that has con- that's congruent, you know? So, yeah, and the fact that everyone was all in, so that's, that's the other point, right? Is that the idea is great. So we give it a be creative award, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other part of it is that, you know, everyone from an engagement perspective was 100% in, right? They were all in. And, you know, the other thing that McElhaney says is that, you know, the only complaints that he got throughout this entirely arduous, difficult, you know, not to be repeated process. Uh, the only complaints people had was that they couldn't figure things out as quickly as they wanted to, right? They were all inwardly directed frustrations. None of that was outwardly directed towards him, towards the team, towards the, you know, what they were trying to accomplish. It was just people saying, yes, we're going to make this happen by hook or by crook. We're together on this, and we're going to become something better through the process. So it's and, it's a, it's an, it's awesome. Yeah, and they and they broke the fourth wall in concept and, and in a literal way as well. A couple of times where okay, on the show they have a charity, and then the charity is real in real life, and yep. then um, they're shooting, you know, fictional, you know, supposedly this, you know, you're like okay we're going through a fictional quarantine because this is a fictional show, but in real life there's a quarantine. So therefore everybody has to be shot separately. <laughs> right. And yeah. so they, and so there's this, this line you're crossing in, in this, this sort of dance you're dancing between that's what makes it brilliant to me. It's like, wait, am I watching real life here or is this fiction or is it a little bit of both? And it's just the new norm for how content will be made. Uh, especially if it's made on a mobile device. So uh, hats go off, uh, Mystic Quest. And um, uh, Nick, thanks for uh, bringing this to my attention uh, earlier this week. Um, it, it really is great. Let me say that a little better because I said it through my teeth. Teeth. <laughs> Mythic <laughs> Quest. Okay. That's right. I've been talking all day. It's My tongue is tired. <laughs> right. Do not yeah. judge me. Uh, Mythic Quest Quarantine. Check it out, Apple TV Plus. And um, Nick, I think that'll do it for us this week. Yeah, man. Great, great talk as usual. And I'm so happy about that uh, kind of mythic quest taking like all three be better, be creative, be engaged. Um, you know, again, uh, back to the beginning of the conversation. Everything that's going on right now uh, with the protests, I think we're going to see all of this stuff start to subside, you know, as far as the the violence that we're seeing and the vandalism, all this stuff that's going on. Uh, But the conversation about what's happening to um, unarmed African-Americans in the community is one that's not going to stop and it should not stop. So um, the protests can come down, but the conversation should continue to ramp up. And we're hoping that, uh, well, we know that you and I, will continue to be part of that conversation, but we're hoping that filmmakers, you know, across the country pick up their cameras and become part of that conversation as well. And, um, you know, it, it will dominate the conversation for the next several, uh, several weeks to several months. Um, but that's not to say that it's the only thing that's out there. There's 
tons of other things to be covered as well. Uh, so as a filmmaker, whether you're speaking about this cause uh, or for another one, uh, please do. You know, be engaged with the community in any way that you can uh, to be a voice for the voiceless. Get their stories out there uh, because people uh, need to be and deserve to be heard. So we encourage you to 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 make a path for other folks. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And, and thank you for that. Uh, when laws change, that's when societies change. Um, and I think that the big difference today is that we've had social media. Atlanta and Nashville, as an example, we were able to find in just one day, less than a day, in like two hours, who the people were that were actually inciting the violence. And then those people didn't seem to be part of the protest groups. And when I, I actually did my college, immersive college paper on this uh, way back in the day about the violence in Seattle during a G20 summit, I believe, but we didn't have social media like that. So these people who were inciting the violence and throwing chairs through Starbucks windows and things like that, no one knew who they were. They were a big mystery. But with social media and everyone's cameras on, you can get to the bottom of it quickly. And I think that's been a huge difference. And to your point, Nick, why I think we're going to see the violence subside rather quickly as compared to other times uh, rioting happens and get closer to a solution faster. So uh, thank, thank you for your time, man. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, be safe out there, brother. Yeah, for sure. And in uh, a last word to the to folks who are listening, be better, be creative, be engaged. Peace. Laters. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.